coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And normally during the football season, you guys know how this works, our first episode of the week would be a recap of the game that just happened. But there is no game that just happened this week because of Vandy's COVID-slash-opt-out-slash-we-don't-want-to-get-humiliated-again issues. So... It sucks, yeah, it sucked to get the news on Friday, but game or not, it's still football season, and that means the Glory UJ mailbag is open each and every week. Since there was no game this week, we understandably did not get as many questions as we normally would, which makes sense, but that's actually kind of cool because we can spend more time on the questions we did get, and we still did get a bunch of really cool questions, so let's go ahead and dig right in. And Curtis, it's hard to believe, man, it really is hard to believe but early signing day is just a little bit more than a week away. So, obviously, we've got some recruiting questions this week. That's on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And that's where we're going to start today with uh, three or four recruiting questions to kick things off. And our first question, this is a really cool question. This is from Patrick. So, I really appreciate this, Patrick. I like this, man. Put a little twist on something that we like to do for our game preview episodes. You guys know, all of you that have been listening for a long time, if you check out our game preview episodes, which I encourage you to if you don't do on a regular basis, we like to wrap those shows up with a little 3-2-1 where we give you three reasons to be optimistic about our chances to win the game, two causes for concern, and one key to victory. Patrick's put a little spin on that when it comes to recruiting. So he asks us for a little 2021 recruiting 3-2-1. First off, he wants us to give three Georgia commitments that you love that the recruiting services are sleeping on. Who are the top two uncommitted guys or flips that we might be able to reel in? And who is the one recruit that we think has the best chance to make an impact for us on the field in 2021? So a really cool way to address a lot of different things when it comes to recruiting. So, Kurt, let's start here. Who are the three George, current George commitments that you love that maybe the recruiting services aren't as high on that maybe they're sleeping on a little bit? I'm going to start with Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, especially if you're going by the rivals' rankings. He was completely disrespected in their rankings compared to especially what you see with everyone else. So I'm going to start with him. Um, and even I, I mean, I know this guy that I'm about to mention is highly ranked, but I also have to go with Brock Vandergriff because I don't think he's getting the love that he should as – what he is, you know, in the quarterback position, I don't think that he's as high as he should be. And I think you have, you've seen some of these other guys getting a lot more love than I think that they kind of deserve. And then number three, I'm going to actually go with Dejon Moore. And I know he's a uh, transfer, and that's probably one of the things that's hurting him with his rankings. But I honestly believe that he is the best Juco on the market and even then better than what we got a couple years ago uh, when we picked up DJ Daniel. Yeah, Dejon Warren is also on my list of three commitments that I think are going to be really good players for us that the, that the services are sleeping on. So basically, who are the sleepers is what this question is asking us. And I agree with Dejon Warren. This guy, guys, I mean, he is an explosive athlete at the cornerback position. Great speed, great hops, really good ball skills. He's just an electric defensive back. And uh, I know when you're coming to the Juco range, you kind of get lost in the shuffle there a little bit. That's... To be expected. That's not necessarily abnormal. But this guy, I mean, he's the number, and it's weird because he's one of those guys that's the number two Juco in the country, 
but he's not – still no one nationally is really talking about this guy. I think he's a guy that can come in and compete right away for a starting spot next year, especially with some of the guys that we're probably going to end up losing at the cornerback spot next year. So he's certainly a guy that I'm very high on. I think he'd be an impact player for us right away. And then two different guys that you didn't mention that I'm going to throw out here. Um, I'm going to go with Jackson Meeks, who's actually our lowest-rated recruit in the 247 composite. He's ranked number 652 nationally. Uh, and there's some context there, guys. Remember, you have to remember the ratings this year. I would say I don't want to say don't pay attention to the rankings, but you have to realize that this year the rankings are not as scientific. And look, they're never scientific. There's no science about it, but they're not as comprehensive as they maybe would be in a normal year because there were no camps, there were no All American games, uh, recruiting riders weren't getting out to football games as much. They're basically relying all on tape. And Jackson Meeks, as a sophomore, suffered an ACL injury. He was really battling back last year. He's a receiver, by the way. Battling back last year, first year off the ACL injury. And he started this year. He plays in Alabama at Central High School there, I think in Phoenix, Alabama. And he was off to a torrid start. Just turn on his tape, guys. This guy, 6'2", 190, 195. He can be a big-time player for us at wide receiver. He's kind of guy. Look, every week I watch college football, I'm getting more and more convinced it's about the passing game, quarterback, and receivers. And Jackson Meeks, I think, can be one of those guys. I'm not saying he should be a top 100 guy necessarily, although I wouldn't be necessarily opposed to someone saying that. But number 652, that's just woefully underrated for him. Um, this guy is a much better player than that. He's a massive sleeper. I think he'd be a good, really, really good player for us. And then I also look at my next guy here is a guy that's actually fairly highly rated. He's actually rated inside the top 100 in the 247 composite, but he's not as highly rated as guys like Amarius Mims or Micah Moores get more of the love on our offensive line in this class. I'm going to go with Dylan Fairchild who is um, just a nasty offensive lineman. He's really athletic, good footwork, strong, powerful. He His background, guys, is one of the reasons I love him so much. He's a he's an, a fairly elite wrestler, from my understanding, and I love wrestlers on the offensive line because those guys are nasty, they're tough, they're physical, no nonsense, they get after you. And I think Dylan Fairchild could end up being, I don't want to say he's going to be better than Amarius Mims, but I think he can be one of the guys who live back a couple of years and say, man, I'm really glad we ended up landing this guy because he's kind of a, a little bit of a sleeper, even though he is t- technically ranked in the top 100 in the 247 composite. Really good player. Really excited about him. All right, Kurt. Next up, we're going to go to who are the top two uncommitted guys, or maybe guys that are committed elsewhere that we could flip that you think we can reel in. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Nylon Green because I just think he's at a position of need, so that's why I'm starting with him. Um, you know, he announces Tuesday the 8th, so that'll be a big-time uh, commit wherever he goes. I think we have a good shot at getting him. So I'm definitely going to start with him. And then um, I'm going to throw out there uh, Donovan Edwards. Um, I think especially with everything that is going on right now um, with Michigan and you honestly, there's no – you're not hearing anything with Harbaugh and his job security. Um, I heard some rumors that he might actually – like we're going to hear something one way or the other – sometime shortly from I think it was John L. Bacon, a, a pretty prominent Michigan beat writer. We're going to hear one way or another, which is interesting, man. Like uh, that's really interesting when it comes to Dominic Edwards, because he's a Michigan guy that can mean really good things for us. Right. When, and the thing, especially like my thing with him too, is especially the fact that like, even if they keep him, I don't know if he's going to be there. has enough time to write the ship and that that will save his job. I mean, he may be there for one year, but it's almost like what happened with Muschamp. Like, Buddy, he's not going to be there your whole time. Talking about Gunnar Stockton? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, just in general, like especially all those D linemen we were going after last year, like Jordan Birch and people like that. 
Like you were signing on to play for someone that you don't know who is going to be quite yet. It's almost like, look, I don't want, these guys are smart, but and, and look, they're being, they're being sold by professional salesmen. So you have to understand that. But it's like, dude, do your homework. Do you really think that Will Muschamp's going to be there for your entire four years? Do you really and do that's that? How I think, and that's how I think with uh, um, Harbaugh up there because I don't care what he does. He's, I think he, he's going to get fired because he can't beat Ohio State, and I don't see that changing next year either. The way Ohio State's playing, the, uh, the, the recruiting and the coaches, they, uh, the players they get up there, I don't see that changing. So that's why I honestly don't – I think Edwards, we have a good chance because we have a stable staff for the most part. I mean, some will leave here or there, but – I think that's what helps us potentially yeah. landing. It does help us. I think something that also will factor in there with Edwards is, because I think he's the best back in this class. We've talked about that. And we, we've always been in it for him, but it's always been an uphill battle because he's a Michigan guy, you know, and he's, Michigan's the home state school. It's, it's the Michigan brand. But that Michigan brand, that shine has certainly worn off a little bit this year. And as you mentioned, with the hardball factor, it's, it's interesting. But I, I do think we have, a, we have a legitimate shot there. And I think he's a guy that – is going to watch very closely what some guys like Zamir White and James Cook do, what they end up doing. So I, I think that might factor in there because of all those guys coming back and our backfield is full, does that impact his decision? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I think it's something the Bears watching. So that's one that's certainly on my list. There's a couple of big-time uncommitted guys that we could go after. So since you went with Donovan Edwards and Nyland Green, those are my – I, I had Nyland Green was number one for me. Um, just You mentioned it, Curtis. He's, he's um, going to be committing. He's scheduled to commit – Tuesday the 8th and really right now it looks like it's down to Georgia and Clemson with Tennessee kind of the outside they're really trying to make a push so it, who knows uh, I've heard some good Georgia chatter the past couple of days we'll see what happens there and guys and those of you who've listened to us for a long time talk about recruiting you know that Curtis and I like we're we're not the experts when it comes to like where is a guy gonna go because we don't we're not recruiting writers or analysts like we don't call these guys and track them and and, and do interviews and that that's not what we do we're, I feel much more confident in my ability to evaluate them, but look, we consume a lot of recruiting talk. Just let's just say that. And we, we talk to some people we know if, uh, we're fortunate, fortunate enough to know a few people that might be tied in some of these things. And so we'll give you what we hear. And I, what I hear, what it sounds like to me from what I understand is that Nyland green, it's a Georgia Clemson battle right now. And, and who knows right now? I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm honestly not sure the coaches know. So it will be fun to watch on Tuesday, but big time guy, top in our prospect at cornerback position, number 69 overall, a, a Georgia guy, 6'2", 185. I mean, he's got he's got the full arsenal. He's kind of what the prototype if you want that position. And you're right, Kurt, it's the position needs. So really looking strongly at him right now. But I'll go elsewhere since you went Nyland Green and you went Donovan Edwards. I'm going to go Mason Smith here. Now, look, I, I will say that I realize that Mason Smith is a little bit, I don't want to say a pipe dream, maybe a long shot. If you guys aren't familiar with him, he's the number two defense attack on the country out of the state of Louisiana. It's really hard to get elite guys out of the state of Louisiana when LSU wants them. LSU wants him, and that's going to be a tough pull. But we've been in it consistently for him. We've been a factor. And you look at some of the guys that we're losing on the defensive line, there's some, some immediate playing time potential there with guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae White, those guys moving on, potentially. I think they will. Um, and you also have to look at what's happening right now with LSU and this scandal of sorts going on with the rape allegations and all that, you don't know what, what's true, what's not, but the current head coach is intimately tied to those allegations. And that's not going to be, I don't think that's going to be resolved by the time this guy commits. It's not going to. So that specter is going to hang over them for who knows how long. And is our parents comfortable enough to send him there? I don't know. What I've heard is that actually is a factor. And we've, we've certainly been in this. 
Still a long shot, sure, but I'm going to throw Mason Smith out there. He's a guy that's, I mean, top 20 player overall, t- number two, defensive attack on the country, 6'5", 315. He's a guy that I think we have more of a, a legitimate shot with than people realize from what I'm hearing. And uh, I think just reading the tea leaves here, I think we've got a shot. Not saying it's a done deal, not at all. Still probably a little bit of a long shot, but we got a, we got a shot here, so I'll go with him. And uh, let's see, okay, Corey Foreman's his buddy. They, they've kind of done the recruiting thing together. I don't, I think it seems like Foreman is kind of trending back to Clemson right now from what I can understand. So I, I don't know how likely that one is. We've been involved in his, commitment, in his recruitment, though, since the, since the get-go. Uh, the, the name I'll throw out there is Xavier Sori from IMG. We already have one of his teammates, Lavoisier Carroll, committed. He's been on him. Xavier Sori, guys, he's a linebacker that's moved up the rankings consistently since uh, the beginning of this cycle. He's only at number 20 overall in the 247 composite. This guy is – he's really good inside linebacker, guys. He's the total package. He's, he's big enough and physical enough to take you on between the tackles, but he also runs really well. He's a new-age linebacker. I think he'd be a three-down linebacker for us. It's a guy that I really, really want in this class. Isn't as much of an immediate knee as a guy like Nyland Green, but since Curtis took him, I'm going to go with Xavier Story inside linebacker. I'll go with Mason Smith, which I think is more of a, an immediate need. We have some guys on the defensive line, but they're not nearly as experienced. I think Mason Smith's a guy that can come in right away and uh, certainly contribute. All right, Kurt, last part of this 3-2-1. Which one recruit has the best chance to make an impact for us on the field in 2021? I'm going to stick with one of my first two answers, and I'm going to go with Dijon Warren. I think especially being the JUCO transfer is going to help him out tremendously. Um, the fact that he's coming to a position where we could potentially be losing our first three options just opens up the opportunity for him to make an impact right away. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you there. I got, I got Dejon Warren as my guy. He's like, we're losing some guys in, in the defensive backfield. We're probably going to, I mean, almost certainly going to lose Eric Stokes, probably going to lose Tyson Campbell, Mark Webb, probably. So, I mean, we're, we're going to lose some guys in that secondary, DJ Daniel probably got an invite to the senior bowl. So he's probably gone too. So we need some immediate impact type guys. And I think Nyland Green can compete for that. If we do end up landing him, I'm really high on him, but we don't, we're not even sure we're going to land Nyland Green right now. We know we have Dejon Warren in the bag. He's already committed. And this is a guy that's coming from the Juco ranks. Those guys are typically a little bit more polished, more physically ready to come in and contribute right away. They've, I know Juco ranks is not the, the SEC, but it's more competitive than most high schools, right? He's got better coach than most high schools. So, I'm looking at Dijon Warren with his the fact that he's a couple years removed from high school, his athleticism, the need there. I think he's the guy that can come in, has the best chance, if I'm looking at all those factors, to be that uh, that guy that can help us from really day one as we're recruiting this 2021 class. All right, moving on, Curtis. Next question about recruiting. It's from Alexander. Thanks for the question, buddy. Alexander asks, with the coaching change at South Carolina, how do you like our chances to flip Gunner Stockton. Also, looking at our quarterback room, and Curtis, you and I have kind of alluded to this, DJ Daniels in 2021, hopefully, Brock Vanegar for 2022 and beyond. Alexander also asked, do we want to actually flip Gunner Stockton? What's your take on that, Curtis? Um, I mean, I don't think you don't try to flip someone like that when you have that caliber and the you know trying to create a competition. Um, I don't think if he wants to commit, you say no. Um, but do I think he will flip realistically? No, because I mean, yeah, they're losing Bobo, which he has a great connection with Bobo because of, uh, my Bobo's father that trains him. But realistically, I think the Connor Shaw relationship is the more important aspect of that relationship. And, um, it looks like Shane Beamer is already, uh, keeping him on staff. So I think that that, that relationship is going to be hard to overcome. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, do you th- let me ask you this, or do you think that Shane Beamer is going to keep Connor Shaw on staff? 
Yeah, from what I've heard is that it's already looking like that he's already telling people that Connor Shaw is going to be staying. Yeah, that's what it says. Like Bobo, does this, I don't think he's going to keep Bobo on staff. It looks like he's already looking at Lincoln Riley's brother to be their offensive coordinator. And Bobo is certainly one of the ties, but it was Bobo and Connor Shaw. Connor Shaw being maybe the close, the closer tie. Because if you guys aren't familiar, we talked about this earlier in the season in case you missed that episode. Jaybo Shaw, Connor Shaw's brother, is Gunnar Shotton's head coach at Raven County High School. That's the tie there. They've known each other for a while. The families have known each other. Bobo's dad helped train Gunnar Stockton when he was a young kid growing up. So there is there are some there's some connections there. But even Bobo's gone, Connor Shaw's still there. The connection is still there. So it's still a really good chance that he might end up there. So yeah, um, look, I, I, I'm I'm with you there, Curtis. When you're looking at this question, number one, yes, I I do think if they keep Connor Shaw, like we just said, I do think that Gunnar Stockton probably sticks with that commitment. And if you get a high-powered offensive guy, I know it's not Lincoln Riley, but still running the Lincoln Riley offense, I think that could be appealing to Gunnar Stockton. He's been committed to South Carolina for a little while, so I think that certainly helps. There's no guarantee, but I think it certainly helps. He might be more likely to listen to us if we're going after him hard. Possibly, I think that makes sense. But I still not. I still would say I would lean towards some sequence South Carolina if Connor Shaw stays on that staff in some capacity. And I, I'm with you also, Curtis. Like if you're looking at this, I, I I get where you're coming from, Alexander. Like, do we really want to flip Gunner if we already had these this stack quarterback room? I know that we've had in the past a situation where you have Jake Fromm, you bring Justin Fields in. Well, Fromm ends up winning that job, and Fields isn't willing to wait, so he transfers out. I get that. I understand that we're kind of gun shy by that, and I. I know it creates some quarterback controversy and guys are going to transfer out and impact your numbers. That's certainly true. It does impact your numbers. That's where it really does hurt. But if a guy, the caliber of Gunnar Stockton wants to commit to your team, I just, even if there's no class separation there between him and Brock Vandegrift, I just don't know how you turn him down. Cause like, what if he goes to South Carolina and he becomes like an all American guy and like, well, he's in the, he's like interviewed at the Heisman trophy ceremony. We're not saying he's going to be a Heisman candidate or whatever. Let's just imagine the scenario. He's, he's in New York and they're interviewing him. They're like, well, you're a Georgia guy. What made you South Carolina? And he's like, well, I want to go to Georgia. Obviously, he would never say that. But they told me they didn't want. They just had Brock Van Griffin in the last class, so I couldn't commit. Like, you can't do that. If the guy wants to come, you let him come and let the sh- chips fall how they may, and let him compete. But I do get the. I do understand where you're coming from, though. So, like, maybe you want to get, take a guy who's a little bit under the radar, a guy that will be a program guy that stays in the program for a couple of years, and so you can kind of keep your numbers up. I understand that. I do, but. I don't know, man. Like, if, if you got a guy like Gunnar Stockton that wants to commit, I don't think you can turn him away. But I do, I don't think it's going to be an issue for us. I do actually think he'll stick with South Carolina if, again, if they keep Connor Shaw on that staff in some capacity, which I, I do think would be the smart move. And I think they will end up doing that. You're right, Chris. There seems to be some conversation. They're kind of leaning towards that right now. All right. And our final recruiting question for the day, and we'll cover recruiting a lot next week, guys, as we get to early signing day, which is next Wednesday. And Alan asked, with signing day just over a week away, again, hard to believe, just over a week away, where do you, what is your final prediction on where this class ends up in the final rankings? Does Kirby have another run in him this year to the number one class? What do you think, Kurt? Um, I think I'm going to go top two, uh, top three, two or three. I think my thing is really, um, it's just hard to, you're not seeing as many flips because, you know, we thought that the potential of, the visits opening up, but that hasn't happened. So I don't think that they're expecting a lot of flips to happen because we're just not getting kids on campus. Now you may see some flips if some other coaches get fired. You are hearing things like that, you know, like you're talking about with hardball, the decisions are going to be made soon. Um, So it just all depends on how the chips fall. At this point in time, though, looking um, as we're going into it, I think the top three finish is more most realistic for us. Yeah, I don't think this class ended up number one. It probably won't end up number two. 
And it's really more of a numbers thing. I think, honestly, the answer to this question depends on numbers. How many guys do we end up taking when it's all said and done? Because now what coaches are doing, guys, they're anticipating because what it seems like is there is going to be that rule pass where everyone gets a one-time penalty-free transfer waiver. You can transfer one time in your career and go to the transfer portal and not be uh, penalized. You don't have to sit out a year. And so coaches are anticipating that legislation being passed for this coming school year. So with that in mind, a lot of coaches are anticipating the transfer portal being full of really good quality players. And But you have to be able to be under the 85 to be able to sign those guys. If, you have, if you're at 85 or whatever, and then a guy opens up, that'd be a great fit for your team in a position of need. Well, you can't get him now unless you go cut somebody off your roster, and that's just never a good look. You never really want to have to do that. So it depends on numbers. Do we, do we take a full class, or do we hold a couple spots for the transfer portal in anticipation of that rule being passed. I what I've heard is that we are going to hold a couple of spots. I think we'll sign probably I don't think we'll sign more than 23 guys max. I think 22 is probably the more likely number. We have 19 commits right now. Right now we said number 4 behind Alabama, Ohio State, LSU. Um and look, we're Alabama's got 22 commits. We got three more than us right now. They're having a, a, a really good year. Ohio State, we have a we have a chance to jump up and catch Ohio State. Um, if they just sit pat and don't get any more commitments. But that's not going to happen. Our recruiting doesn't happen in a vacuum. I do think we can jump LSU at number three. Uh, we're about six points behind them in the 247 composite rankings. They have one more commit than us. And if we land a guy like Mason Smith or Xavier Soy or Nylon Green especially, if you do the class calculator, we'll jump over LSU. Again, LSU will get some more guys too. It'll be a battle. But I think we have a realistic shot to finish the top three. In no way do I see us finishing outside the top four. I mean, top, I mean at bare minimum top five like that's worst case scenario is like number five I don't see us falling out of that at all right now so I think I would say probably top three coming in number three be um if I had to guess right now based on the guys that we still have out there the big time prospects that we have a really good chance for Xavier Soares, Donovan Edwards, Mason Smith, Nyland Greens all those guys I think we'll land we won't land all of them but I think we'll land a couple of those guys and that will push us into the top three that's what that would be my final prediction going into in a sign day here in a, in a week or so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. All right, so that's our recruiting talk for today. We'll talk more about that next week. Let's talk about some team stuff the rest of the way. And Hope has a good question. Hope, thank you for the question. Really appreciate you listening and supporting the show. Hope asks, looking ahead to next football season, which position on offense and defense do you see as a weakness for Georgia? She says the DBs uh, with the cornerbacks leaving seem to be a weak link, especially. So, Kurt, when you're looking at offense and defense, what are the areas, the positions that you're worried about next year? Um, Offensively, I'm probably going to go with running back. Um, it just You just don't know what's going to happen with Cook and Zeus. I expect Zeus to go. I'm not sure about Cook. Um, but realistically, I think it's not that we won't be talented. I think we'll be young at that position, which is the uh, the only thing I think we'll be stacked at wide receiver. Offense will be some great comp- – our offensive line, there'll be some great competitions. But, I mean – the way we've recruited five stars up there, I don't really expect that to be a problem. Um, so that's where I'm going to go on the offensive line. And I'm going to agree with Hope that I think you do have to talk about the uh, DBs, specifically the cornerbacks next year. Um, but I still think we have a lot of talented guys like Ringo who hasn't yet gotten on the field. But 
next year will probably be ready to take a spot. Do you, I'm going to go back to something. I'm going to circle back to something you said about the running backs. Do you really think that Zeus is gone after this year? I do. Um, him more so than Cook, just the fact of his two ACL injuries, that he's someone that can't take a, a chance. And if Zeus goes and Cook sees his chance to get more carries. So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, what about the defensive line, Kurt? That's one area I'm looking at. Are you concerned guys like Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt moving on? Yeah, because Tyrion, Ingram, Dawkins, and people like that who could um, are just young. So I think you have to take that into account. But I still think that people like Donald uh, Logue, um, Norton, and some of these other guys are going to start developing. And, you know, they're getting a lot of important snaps, especially Warren Branson, Jalen Carter, people like that are getting some really, really valuable snaps, which I think is going to help in the long run, especially going into next year. Even people, um, just all the all the guys that we've been rotating in there are going to be, the, you know, this is going to be the big difference for them next year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Jalen Carter is going to be a beast for us. He's going to be a force offensive line. He's already been a beast at times this year. He's going to do that more consistently next year and year two. He's played so many snaps for us. You mentioned Warren Brinson, Zion Logan. I'm high on those guys, but I still have some questions. We're, we're, we have some guys that are going to have to take on roles they haven't had to take on before. And I don't, we don't have a Jordan Davis body right now. We don't have that guy. And we have some good players, but we don't have that guy. And he's been such a key to our run defense. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, Terry Ingram Dawkins, you mentioned, I, I don't know if he's going to be a really good player for us. I do believe that. I just don't know how much, how ready he'll be to contribute early on in year one. Is he's a guy that's still growing into his body. I mean, his guy's getting like 50 pounds in the past year. He's still very much growing into his body. I just don't know physically if he'll be ready in year one. Athletically, the guy can, he can play. I just don't know if he's ready to play against grown men when he's still trying to grow into his own body. Um, so it's a little bit of a concern. I'm certainly more concerned about the defensive backs, as you guys mentioned, specifically the cornerbacks. If we lose Stokes, Campbell, and DJ Daniel, I mean, we're going to have two new starters. At, I mean, our top three cornerbacks are going to be gone. And so what that looks like, whether it's, it's Keely Ringo, we all are extraordinarily high on Keely Ringo come back from the from the shoulder surgery. When you got like DeJon Warren to come in and start playing right away. Maybe a guy like Nyan Green if we're able to land him. Maybe look at Ty- Tyreek Stevenson. There's a lot of questions there. And I'm also with you, Curtis, on the – I mean, offensively, I don't have a ton of questions. Like, who's going to be that elite running back maybe? We need somebody to emerge. That's fair. But offensive line, I would say, depending on who we lose, does, does Trey Hill come back? Jamari Sauer, do those guys come back? As if they don't, we're going to have a lot of new faces in the offensive line. We have a lot of talented guys, a lot of options to work with. There'll be great competition. But who are those guys going to be? Where are they going to fit? Are we going to have somebody develop at right tackle to be a little bit more consistent? I, mean, I think McClendon did a good job, but we need to be a little bit more consistent there. The center position, there's some questions there. Um, I don't think any like overwhelming questions, anything to like freak out about all offseason, because I think the offense, offense in general is going to be in really good shape. The offensive line – Looking at one part of that side of the ball, that'd be where I would look as well. I'm with you there. Um, all right, moving on here. I got a question from Justin. Thanks for the question, Justin. Yes, I know you talked about this a bit earlier regarding DBs, but which seniors or juniors, if any, on the team as a whole will come back for another year with that extra eligibility everyone is getting? Curtis, this is an interesting question. Who do you see potentially coming back and using that extra year of eligibility? Um, if anyone, especially in the DB, if if it was going to be anyone, I'd probably go DJ Daniel, just because, um, compared to last year, he has not gotten a lot of exposure. Um, he's really taken a step back as we've kind of gone more so with Stokes and Campbell going forward. That's the only one I could really see because he could he could benefit from some exposure. But people like Mark Webb, um, they've about maxed out their talent, so it's, I don't know if they would be able to really do much next year to really make a difference in their draft stock. Um, DJ Daniel's the only one that I could see making. A difference. I see what you're saying with DJ Daniel. He was hurt some this year, so his his role kind of was reduced. But Mark Webb, I'm curious, but I, I agree. I don't think Mark Webb has much of an NFL future right now. I, I just don't. I just don't know. He's been. I, I don't. He doesn't move as well laterally like he needs to. Uh, 
do you see I, I'm with you. I don't think he's gonna have a big career in the NFL, but to me, maybe that does that possibly encourage him to come back and say, you know what, it's just one more one last year of football, one last go around with a good team, a chance to do something special. Do you could you possibly see that? Um, you could potentially, but I if I remember correctly, I believe he did accept his invite to the senior bowl. So I think that kind of already yeah. says out of here. I mean And DJ uh, Daniel did too. Does that see that's the, and that's why I mean realistically, I don't think any of them are coming back, but I mean Mark Webb could benefit. I mean, you could say, hey, you're going to get an, maybe get another extra degree, be um, like Jawan Parker out here, have two masters or whatever <laughs> by the time you leave college. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll help you in the real world, um, especially when you don't have much of a pro future ahead of you, which not trying to be mean, but as you mentioned, he yeah. doesn't. But the problem is all these guys, they don't see it that way. They think they do. And, and you're supposed to. You're supposed to believe in yourself. I get that, and that's what you've trained for your whole life. But I just – I think realistically I'm not sure. I hope I'm wrong there, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, what about D-Rob? Um, D-Rob, I don't even think his mind is made up because he's been – he's mentioned that he's the uh, he's the only one that really hasn't come out and said much when uh, I believe reporters asked him a week or two ago mm-hmm. about it. Um, but if he was to come back, I actually probably wouldn't be shocked to see him in the transfer portal as a grad transfer going somewhere because when you look at how deep our wide receiver room is – He's the odd man out. That's what I would say. It's like D Rob makes sense because he hasn't really put himself in position to, to make an NFL team right now or get drafted. Maybe he'll make a team. He hasn't put himself in position to get drafted. But my question would be if you come back, like, what role are you coming back in? Because the guy barely played. I mean, I don't say barely, but he hasn't played a ton this year. And we're talking about we had a bunch of true freshman receivers out there that were playing over him. Is he going to play over them next year? I just, I don't know. I don't see. What about Julian Rochester? Last one. We'll throw that one out there. Another ACL uh- injury. I think he'll go. I mean, I think he's another one of those that's about maxed out where he's at. and His his clock is ticking because he's literally almost 30 years old. Um, so he, there's not much time left for him to get out there. I, I would love for Julian to come back. I hated for house any of these injuries past couple of years. But, yeah, I think uh, I think Julian will probably just go on and, and see what happens in the next level. So, yeah, I'm with you, girl. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know if any of them will. Because look, and Kirby said this before. It's it's so true. Like, how many guys really these days, outside of injuries, stay to be like fifth year seniors? It's so rare these days. They want to get to the league. That's the goal. They want to make money. Sometimes they make bad decisions when they leave, but they want to get there. So I just I don't know. I don't know. It would take a very unique situation. Maybe D Rob. Maybe Webb or or Daniels. I just right now, if I had to bet, I would say none of them do. But I could be wrong there. All right. Uh, next up, we're going to move outside University of Georgia. Actually, I guess it's tangentially related to UGA. Steven asked, what do you make of the Shane Beamer hire at South Carolina? Should dog fans be concerned? Curtis, are you scared, man? I'm not scared. I think they're trying to um, hit lightning in a bottle, kind of like uh, when Clemson hired Dabo. Um, but the, I, I'm just not really scared. I mean, the, the, the biggest knock you heard about him uh, when he was at Georgia is he just was not a relentless recruiter. Um, I think that's one of the things that hurt him most at his time at Georgia. I don't know. Maybe he developed it and took it with him when he went to Oklahoma. But realistically, especially when it came time for recruiting, even at Oklahoma, when you're seeing a lot of these big-time guys commit to Oklahoma, none of it was, hey, Shane Beamer got me to come here. Um, yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing is South Carolina, to get that program back on track, you need someone who can come in there and is a relentless recruiter that's going to get after it. And right now, Shane Beamer just doesn't appear as that person to me. I totally agree. Look, I you guys know it all. I don't like to speak in absolute. Shane Beamer may knock it out of the park. It's certainly possible, right? It's possible. But and you're right. Like you mentioned Dabo Swing. It's a good example there. Like Dabo hadn't had any coordinator experience. He was an assistant. He was literally an assistant coach, not a coordinator, an assistant coach. And he was promoted. 
he had not had like no one was really talking about Dabo Swinney as being like that next guy, but it really worked out for them. But I would also say it's different situations here. First off, Dabo Swinney did not have a Clemson in his state to compete with, right? Like Shane Beamer has this behemoth in Clemson in state to deal with. Dabo Swinney never had to deal with that. South Carolina was not that when he took over that job. So that in-state competition wasn't there. And Clemson is just, it's a brand now, man. It's an absolute brand. He's done an incredible job there. So it's a little bit of a different scenario, although I, I get some people trying to make that comparison. Um, but here's what I would also say about Shane Beamer. Curtis, who else in America was going after Shane Beamer? Who else? No one. And I think that's what shocked me the most is apparently very early on, that's who the you know the athletic director and some of these big boosters circled as their main guy. And that kind of just shocked me because it was like a name that – no, like – no one else was interested in. Yeah, and when you when you hear South Carolina fans, if you read their message board, read Twitter, you, what they always come back to, why they're so excited, at least why they're talking like talking themselves into being excited about the job, is that he loves South Carolina. Cool, that's awesome, that's great. But Curtis, does that qualify you to be the head coach of South Carolina because you love South Carolina? No, like, not at all. And we've we've seen where being a raw raw guy can only get you so far. Absolutely. I mean, it's great for you to love the university because, he, guys, if you don't know the background, he spent a couple of years there coaching under Spurrier. He's got up some ba- a background there at South Carolina as an assistant coach. But because he loves the job, and I, I'm, that's seriously what I've heard people say. Because what else is there to say? The guy's never been a coordinator in his life. He's never been a head coach. Um, no one else in America has really sniffed around him. The the only job that he's been that I know that he's really been in contention for was Old Dominion last year, and he lost out in that job to Ricky Ronnie, the coordinator from Penn State. Like. It just said, like, how excited should a program be? How scared should Georgia fans be when South Carolina, an in-state – or not in-state, an in-division rival, I guess, hires a coach that literally no one else in the country is even sniffing around? What does that say? I mean, even when he was here on our staff, when Kirby first got here, he was the fringe guy on our staff, right, Curtis? Like, was he mentioned with the other top assistants on our staff? No, not at all. And that's the thing. Like, he he's never been, you know, the top guy. And I, like, even as an assistant, he was never that. No, he never like a good recruiter, but not like not a dynamic recruiter in any way, shape, or form. I'll give him credit and say he's been around a lot of good leaders, been around Kirby Smart, been around his dad, been around Lincoln Riley now. So he's seen good coaches in action. So that that that's something. Uh, but like, like really, honestly, Curtis, how much better can they expect him to be than Will Muschamp? I honestly don't know. Like I, I that's, just, I mean, that's what shocked me. He's just not someone that, especially like the one thing that. As a coach, you've got to grab the attention of the players. And someone that's never been a coordinator, that's going to be difficult because you've never had to sit in front of the whole team. The best, the most you've ever done, especially Beamer, was maybe when he was with his position group. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's strange. I know. I'm not saying Muschamp was good. He wasn't. He was fine most of the time. Muschamp just needed a quarterback. Like when he had Jack, when he had Jake Bentley playing well, they were pretty good. They were fine. Remember, it was only a couple years ago that everybody and their brother was predicting them to beat us in the preseason week two. And that didn't happen. But he and then Bentley gets her and then Helensky wasn't what they thought it would be. Then then you got Colin Hill who didn't end up being very good. I honestly if they if they would have waited with Muschamp, I know the fan base was was chomping the bit to get rid of him so the administration couldn't keep him there. But if they had waited a couple years and let him get Gunnar Stockton in there with Bobo, I think he he probably would have done a decent, as good of a job as Beamer's gonna do moving forward. Honestly, we'll see. I don't know. And honestly, I don't even know. Like, what is what is Shane Beamer's offensive identity? What is his what is his defensive or personality gonna be like? We don't know the answers. It looks like Lincoln Riley's brother is talking to the offensive coordinators, and that's what they're talking about right now. I just want. I mean, I don't know. I it, I 
we'll see how it works out for them. I'm certainly not concerned about it. I think it's an extraordinarily underwhelming hire. Again, nobody, nobody else in America is even talking about this guy. No head coaching experience, no coordinator experience, an okay, good, solid recruiter, but certainly not dynamic. I mean, Curtis, is this guy going to out-recruit Kirby Smart and uh, Dabo Swinney and whoever ends up at Tennessee because they're probably going to fire Jimmy Is he going to out-recruit those guys consistently? No, not at all. And that's the thing. He just doesn't scare you at all. Like, Muschamp was known to at least go and get a good defensive guy because he had such he had that strong defensive background where Beamer doesn't have anything like that to fall on. I don't know, man. I mean, I know he knows some people around there. And it really is the big boosters that were pushing him because they know him. But I, I don't know. I, if I was a South Carolina fan, I would be extraordinarily underwhelmed. I know they're trying to talk themselves into it right now, which any fan base would do. I get it. But I would just be extraordinarily underwhelmed right now. I mean, I'd be like, we got we're a must champ for this guy? Like, huh? I don't know, man. All right, moving on here. Uh, next question is from Trent. Real quick on this one, Curtis. Very simple question. Thanks for the question, Trent. He asked, do we actually play 10 games in the regular season? What do you think, Curtis? Do we get 10 in? Uh, no, because Vanderbilt's a joke, and I don't care when we play them again, but Kirby better actually for once run the score up on someone like he should and can. I want to drop 70. I want to drop 70. We'll see. If they if they play Tennessee this week, maybe. But if they don't play Tennessee this week, we're not playing them. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see it because it really sucks for the seniors. Obviously, I mean, all, this whole pandemic sucks. But that really sucks for the seniors, and to have and to wait till Friday like that, I just man, that just gets under my skin. And a lot of guys opting out. I mean, I, I know they can use COVID as a shield now. I'm sure some guys just positive, but come on, man, come on, let's get real. All right, next question here from Wentz is a good question, Curtis. I'm interested in what you say here. That's almost bowl season. Would you rather get Oklahoma, Cincinnati, or Indiana in our bowl game? Because, Kurt, it looks like we're going to end up in one of the New Year's Six Bowls, and we don't know which one, but probably gets one, I mean, likely gets one of those opponents. It very well could be. So of those three, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, or Indiana, which one would you rather match up against? Uh, I wouldn't mind to see Indiana, just the fact that, you know, the starting quarterback is out. So you're playing a good team, and you get a win. The one team I wouldn't want to face is Cincinnati, who we probably will face because I think they'll have the most to play for and to prove. Um, and I actually think they're probably the best of the three teams uh, because they're the most complete football team out there. Cincinnati's really good, man. Nobody wants to believe me when I say that. They're really good. Um, and again, they could be one of these, especially if Michigan does move on from hardball and hire someone like Fickle, um, then it could affect them. But overall, I think Cincinnati is the best of the three. Yeah, they're a really good team. I think it depends on what's most important to you when you're looking at a bowl game, like what excites you. Do you get more excited about the like what's the best, biggest matchup, like the biggest name to play? Because that would definitely be Oklahoma. Uh, do you like? Are you more interested in like which team will we most likely be? Because Curtis, you mentioned Indiana. Like some people look at it that way. Like who would I? Who I just want us to win. Who are we most likely to beat? And I see Indiana, especially with Penix being out. Well, they did beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin is just not good. But uh, I think Indiana is probably the answer there. All right, then like who's the who would you want to play that gives you like the least chance for embarrassment? I agree, Curtis. Cincinnati is a team I just don't want to play because it's one. It's, it's like the Boise State scenario, right, or the UCF scenario. Like in any one given one shot, one off game, they can be anybody because they're going to be so pumped up. Biggest game in program history, and they want to win that game. While we're our guys kind of looking at it like, oh, you know, it's a group of five team, and we're that excited to play. It's an, always a scary situation, and if you lose that game. It's like, oh, my God, you just lost to a group of five team. So that, that potential for embarrassment is greater for a team like that. I'm not saying I'm scared of them. I just don't want to potentially – on the off chance when you lost to them, and they're good, but the off chance that we lost to them, the embarrassment there, it would, just, it would suck going into the offseason with that. Oklahoma would be the biggest matchup. It would be a, a fun game. Indiana would be probably the, the most likely win. 
So I don't know. I should, I'd probably go Oklahoma. I, I think I just think it would be fun. Uh, would you Would you be opposed to playing Oklahoma, Kurt? Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think that would be a good thing. And realistically, I just want us to go out there and try to win this game because when you don't win, you hear the whole offseason of how it ends on a bad note, and that's just not what you want. Yeah, and I always talk about like after we lose a game, I want to get that. I hate bye weeks after a loss. I want to get that sour taste in my mouth. And like when you lose a bowl game, it just sticks with you for it just takes longer to get over. Even though I got it doesn't matter or whatever, but it just sucks. So yeah, maybe Indiana actually because I just want to win. Like, even though we, Baylor wasn't great last year, beating Baylor in the Sugar Bowl and going the offseason with that win, I felt infinitely better than I did when we lost to Texas in the Sugar Bowl. I felt so much better. So uh, obviously, but it just, it's, it's strange how much that impacts at least my offseason. But for me, my answer honestly would be like, I want to, I want us to be in a New Year's Six Bowl that I can actually go to. I don't, I don't, I, I, at first I was kind of excited about us possibly going to the Fiesta Bowl because I've, I've never been to the Fiesta Bowl. It'd be fun to go to. But then they announced last week that, oh yeah, we're not having fans. Well, that sucks. I actually want to go to the game. So I'm hoping for the Cotton Bowl or the Orange Bowl. I know Peach Bowl, I'd be fine with. I just, you guys know Atlanta's nothing for me. It's just not exciting for me. It's a day trip. It's in and out. It's fine. It's whatever. It's not exciting. It's not a big thing for me. It's not a whole weekend. Uh, but going to the Cotton Bowl, which I've never been to, or going to the Orange Bowl, which I've also never been to, would be really fun. And I think we probably definitely the Orange Bowl. We they would have fans. They're probably gonna have fans in the Cotton Bowl. So it'd be really fun. Like first Oklahoma, Georgia, the Cotton Bowl. Come on, man. You know you're down for that, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah, you're totally down for that. Now, if we played the Orange Bowl, it'd probably be the ACC. But it would it would be. Who's after Clemson or in Notre Dame? It'd probably be the winner of the Miami North Carolina game this weekend. So at least that'd still be fun. But I, I'm going for Oklahoma, Georgia, and the Cotton Bowl. That's my that's my wish right now. Go to Sundance Square, stay in Fort Worth, have a good little time. Let's do it. Um, all right, last question here. Kirk got about a minute left. Nathan has a basketball question for us. Love the hoops talk. Thanks for that, Nathan. Thanks for giving us a chance to talk some hoops. He asks, after the first three games, what is your impression of the basketball team so far? Kurt, what have you seen? Um, you don't have the superstar like you had last year with Anthony Edwards, but I think this group plays better as a team overall, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which you kind of didn't see last year, where I think at times it just became a one-man show. Um, so I, I like the team aspect of the way they play together a lot more so this so far this year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we're going to be more stable and consistent this year. We have a lot more veteran guys. We've got a bunch of transfers coming in, whether it's Andrew Garcia, P.J. Horn, Justin Keir, guys that played a lot of college basketball, just haven't played a lot of college basketball here at Georgia. So um, those veterans, they do bring a different presence to the team this year that we just didn't have last year. And we've seen some improvement from some guys. I mean, we've got we've definitely got the floor general right now. We've got Severe Wheeler. I mean, this is his team. Make no mistake about it. This is a guy that's taken major steps this year as a sophomore. And he was good for us at times last year. But the big issue that we have right now is we don't have enough shooters. We've got to find some shooters. Both of our league guards, whether it's Severe Wheeler or Ty Fagan, they're slashers. They they get to the rim really well. They finish the rim really well, but they don't really shoot the ball well. And that's a problem, especially when you have, again, when you have guys like Severe Wheeler and Ty Fagan who do a really good job getting to the rim, those guys need space to operate. And if you don't have shooters to space the floor, that makes it a lot more difficult for those guys to operate. Yeah, we're doing it fine against the teams we played so far, the Jacksonvilles of the world, but the four A&Ms of the world. But when you play an SEC schedule, all of a sudden those lanes are really, really going to shrink. And if you don't have the shooters to really threaten defenses and spread the court, spread the floor, then 
it's going to be tougher for those guys to operate and be as effective as they have been through the first three games. So that's my concern. We have some guys I think can do it. P.J. Horn had a really good year last year, knocked down a ton of threes for, for Virginia Tech and a really wide open offense. So he's got the capability to do it. He hasn't done it consistently yet here, but he's a better shooter than that. Justin Kier has shown some signs. He's been our best shooter so far. Kamar has been able to knock down a couple of shots, being like a stretch four, stretch five, depending on what position he's playing. But he doesn't do it consistently enough right now. Losing a guy like Jaquan Walton does concern me some. I know he hasn't really done anything in his career. He was hurt all of last year and, and finally got clear, but he wasn't in the rotation. But he coming out of high school had a really good reputation as a shooter, and having him transfer out certainly doesn't help things after two games. I wish he would have stuck, th- stuck around a little bit, but he chose not to do that. We're seeing that more and more, obviously. That's my concern is shooting. We just In this day and age, you got to be able to shoot. But we do have the floor general. We have some good vets around him. But like Curtis said, I'm not sure we have that one elite player that they can complement. But if we had these guys last year, I mean, we would have been in really good shape last year. That's kind of what Anthony Edwards needed. He needed vets like Andrew Garcia that would do the dirty work, rebound, play defense, play physical, that kind of thing. That's what we needed. We just didn't have those guys last year. The problem last year is kind of what Kentucky's dealing with this year is just that everybody on the roster, essentially, except for like Tyree Crump and Jordan Harris, they were all young. We had this big recruiting class, highly ranked recruiting class, obviously led by Ant-Man Anthony Edwards. And we needed some veteran presence around him. We needed some vets, some some glue guys around him that had been around the block that he could kind of lean on, that could bring stability to the program. And we didn't really have that last year. There's a lot of young guys that were all learning the jobs. We had the superstar, but we really didn't do anything with him because we just didn't have the pieces around him that were ready to kind of be those veteran guys. But we have those guys this year, whether it's Keir, whether it's Andrew Garcia, you even look at a guy like Ty Fagan, P.J. Horn coming over as a grad transfer from Virginia Tech. We have those guys this year. and It would be fascinating to see what this team would be and how good they could be if Anthony Edwards was the true freshman on this year's team with those kind of guys around him to kind of bring stability to his freshman game, which was up and down at times. And last year, like when he wasn't on, we just had no chance. I think this year that wouldn't be the case if we had a guy like that. But that's kind of how things work out for Georgia, right? Like we can never just put it all together at, at the right time. But all in all, I think this team has potential to be better than last year, even though we don't have a superstar like Anthony Edwards. We have a clear floor general, and that's really important in the college game, really in, in any level of basketball. But you got Severe Wheeler, who's really kind of taking the leadership role on this team. He's improved dramatically. Tamani Kamara's improved. He's still, he's got so much raw potential. I mean, that guy can be a monster, but uh, he's just got to continue to grow. He's grown some this year. He's improved a little bit more of an offensive game, and he needs to continue to take steps there. Ty Fagan is a really good piece. I don't know if he can be your lead two guard on a, like a tournament team. He's a good slasher, plays good defense. He's just a really good player to have on your team. I think he'd be better coming off the bench. He just doesn't shoot the ball well. And, that, and that's a problem in this day and age. You've got to be able to shoot the ball. you got to be able to knock down shots. And I just at the end of the day, I just don't know if we have enough guys that can do that. And obviously, we don't have a ton of size, which also hurts. So when you, when you don't have a great shooting team and you don't have a ton of size, that could be a problem. I mean, you can get away with not being a huge team. Like we've got, we've gone to positionless basketball. If you have guys that can shoot, if you have a bunch of really talented guards, and I just don't know that we have that. So I'm not super optimistic about our chance to make the tournament. I think we can make progress this year, but I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm still not convinced as a tournament team. This year we had more of the pieces that we needed around Anthony Edwards last year, but we just don't have the Anthony Edwards this year, which is probably the most important part. We don't have that. So a little frustrating, but hey, it's still fun to watch. They've been they've been entertaining through three games, and I've seen some progress. So hopefully, we'll continue to see them grow as the season progresses. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. Of course, we really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us here and support our podcast. That means a lot to us. 
So make sure to be checking back later on this week. We try to repay that loyalty and that support by giving you guys as much high-quality content as we possibly can. So we'll have our Missouri game preview later this week, and we'll, of course, wrap things up with our picks of the week, which we always have a lot of fun with. And next week, we'll have a lot of recruiting talk for you guys with the early signing period starting. So a lot of good stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks. So make sure to check back. But thanks for listening, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>